Hello, and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon community. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. I'm Kikita Kaori. And today we're going to talk about crafting, mechanics of crafting. Yeah, mechanics and how to integrate into your game and all that kind of good stuff. People making stuff. But before we get on to that, we do have some news. A community member by the name of Noah, or Ambition on Discord, has asked us to shout out their second edition of Daishur, which is a hack of Lasers and Feelings, originally designed by John Harper. Daishur is a D6 tabletop role-playing game that requires zero preparation, which makes it perfect for one-shot sessions. There are many roll tables and light mechanics that reflect the essence of Legend of the Five Rings. If you're interested in that, Die Show can be found on courtgamespod.com slash dieshow2e. Also, Court Games will be hosting an L5R one-page RPG contest starting today, April 1st. It will be a month long, with the deadline for entries being on the 23rd of April. The final week is for voting by the community. The theme is Overcoming of Fear. The best overall winner will receive a physical copy of Fields of Victory and Blood of the Linus, or an equivalent value of drive through RPG gift card, which is $60. You can enter solo, or you can enter as a team. The sign-up for the Game Jam is now online already at itch.io slash jam slash L5R Game Jam 2022. And we'll have links for all of this in our show notes. And finally, we did a full playtest of the Game Master's Game of 20 Questions by Sebastian, Sebas uh, on Discord. We have an abbreviated video up on YouTube, along with our thoughts on the experience. And you can find the full two-hour video on Sebas's channel, and that'll be linked in our show notes. Using this workbook during Session Zero, the GM and players collaborate on the initial concept for the campaign and important NPCs, while incorporating the player's choices from their 20 questions. And you can find all of this at courtgamespod.com slash gm20q. So that's our news for today. That's for us the way it's been. It's been very quiet. This week we're going to talk about crafting. Now, crafting is an activity that a lot of players in many RPGs want to do. Yeah. But it's also a very difficult activity to incorporate into your games. And getting that balance right, working that in for Legend of the Five Rings has the same challenges that other systems have, though it has some strengths that we'll talk about in a bit. However, there are difficulties, so we'll talk about those first. First of all, how much detail you're going to go into with your crafting is a real challenge. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've like, do you do you make it one roll to make the super awesome thing, or do you actually kind of dig deep into the process and really kind of because you want? I presume if someone's making a crafting character, they're interested in their character doing the stuff. So, are you going to be role playing? The gathering of the materials. Are you going to make sure that they've got a team together? And 
how many rolls goes into making one object. And you can go in any kind of depth. If you watch, for example, I mean, a very common one with Legend of the Five Rings is making swords. And there are loads of videos on YouTube, and I, I suggest you go look at them because they're really fascinating. <laughs> but you could divide it into so, you know, the process of making one sword, you could divide that into so many roles if you wanted. From, like, you select individual pieces of iron ore, iron that has been smelted different for different properties to make different parts of the blade. And that's a, an important part of making the blade. And you've got to purify your workspace and you've got to organize your team and then, you know, and so on and so on and so on. Or do you just go make roll, get sword? Right, right. Another uh, challenge with crafting is how to integrate that crafter into adventuring. Why is your crafter adventuring instead of, staying home, getting better at their their craft. Uh, this is especially true for the actual kinds of crafters L5R has, like Kikita Swordsmasters, because it's not like you can wander around looking for inspiration with a fully functional forge on your back. You know, you stay home with your forge where it's really good. An artist, a painter might have less of a challenge. They might, yeah, that might be less. Like, like I wander wherever and I draw, I do paintings. And if something heroic happens, well, I'm right there. And I, I want to find all, all the interesting landscapes. And, and adventurers, I'm sure, go to all sorts of interesting landscapes. I, mean, I remember in, like, in fourth edition, I played a Caillou engineer. And I remember distinctly, at rank three, you can make armor, and it's really good armor. And I kind of looked at that and went, no rank three Caillou engineer is ever going to be allowed out of the forge. As, like, like you get to rank three, it's like, right, you're in that forge forever making armor. Because it's for, for like whoever's whoever's in charge of you, your daimyo or whoever, that's like so awesome. <laughs> now everybody should have some. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then if they ever manage to get to rank three, uh, rank five, sorry, and they can make the awesome unbreakable swords again. Who's going to let them out? You know, I mean, you're not taking time out to go adventuring. That's like like half a sword's worth of time. No, you make a sword, mate. It does, like you say, it does depend on the craft. You know, if 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 you're a woodcarver or a painter, a painter's a really good example, actually. I mean, there were certainly people who, like, their whole thing was going around interesting places and drawing them which would then be made to uh, woodblock prints. This is probably not a samurai type thing, but you'd make them into woodblock prints and, you know, they then become really, really popular because for the people who can't go traveling. And if you're a painter, if really, really high class, super special printer, a uh, painter, then yeah, adventuring is fantastic. You see all sorts of fun things. So that it does depend on what you're doing, on what the craft is. But some of them require a whole building really to work and some of them require whole teams you can't really carry them with you on your back another uh challenge of crafting is you know how much downtime are you going to have in your game and then how much downtime will doing the crafting make so if crafting is being done during the downtime do the non-crafting people have things to do during that time so if you take time away from adventuring to craft stuff what do non-crafters do 
Yes. It, it, it is almost like the ninja problem. Like, because we talked about the ninja problem, which is, okay, that's the end of our adventuring day. We're all going to go to sleep. And then the ninja player says, well, now I'm going to do a thing, you know, without everyone else. So I'm going to spend however long and everyone else just has to kind of sit and watch. It can be kind of sort of like that. Now we're doing downtime. And, you know, now, now three weeks pass until the next thing happens. And the crafter immediately, ah, here's what we're going to do. And maybe the bushy doesn't have anything interesting to do which is which is yeah, there's there's ways and means i mean the i think i have mentioned before a game called ars magica which in many ways is downtime the game where it is very clear that there are lots of things for people to do in their downtime and what they're doing is almost that's pretty much how you advance your character and has lots of rules for lots of things uh, although it also has the ability to play different characters. So you have one character for whom downtime is very important and lots of characters who it isn't. But if you're going to do... if And some games, it must be said, don't have downtime at all because the feeling is everything's terribly urgent. So you can't take three weeks to make a thing or go visit your sensei or butter up that official over a period of time, you know, and all that sort of stuff. No, 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 you've you've got back. Something's immediately happening. Or there's another problem that needs to be dealt with right now, and there is no downtime. What do you do then? So those are all things you need to think about. Right. So that's certainly a challenge. And the final thing is just that a crafting character, depending on how the rules work, and we'll talk a little bit about how that is later on, can be a gear power-up for the entire group. And then you have to take that into consideration when you're doing it. I mean, your crafter character deserves to be able to help the group with their skills just like any other character is. But then, you know, maybe their impact has a bigger effect on this other character than this one character than another. Like like we said, it's slightly different if they're a painter. You know, <laughs> I've painted something for everyone in the group. That doesn't really affect anything in the game mechanics terms, but it's it's nice to have done. But if someone you've got your sword ma- sword maker, it kind of why aren't they making a sword for everyone in the group? You know, and then if they're really quite good at it, then suddenly everyone's got a really awesome sword. And that that's not necessarily a problem, but it may be something you have to take to that may be something you have to take into account when you are planning stuff if everyone is wandering about with a really good armor and a really good sword. And, and that, that not necessarily a big challenge, but I do think it's a thing you need to think about. Right. So in looking at crafting in terms of L5R and the mechanics of it and the use of it in a game, I wanted to focus on the reasons you do use crafting in this game. And I've kind of broken them down into five reasons, and we'll talk about them each separately. In L5R, the first reason that you might use crafting in a game, and this could be somewhat for someone who even has no skill in the craft or very minimal skill in the craft, is to exercise a passion. They could have a passion for painting or music or calligraphy or any any kind of craft you can think of. And just getting the opportunity to practice that is great. 
The next reason is that you might use crafting to repair weapons and armor or clothing that become damaged in combat. That happens in L5R. There's rules around it. You can use it to fix it. The next reason you would use crafting in a game, and this is specific to L5R, is to create gifts. You've got a gift-giving society. Gifts can be a terribly important part of your relationship with other characters. So it's always good to have a crafter to make presents for people, or it's more fun than going shopping for them. The next reason is to customize or create an item that is intended to make a specific impression or send a specific message to a target. So this might not be like a tool you use, but it's sending a message or invoking an effect in somebody because of the creation of you done. We'll talk about some more examples of that later. And then finally is the way that crafting is often done in other systems, which is just to create a tool or weapon in particular that is better for you or another party member than equipment you could purchase easily or you know, receive from your lord easily. Um, I actually, when Carrie came, first came up with this and said, we're going to do crafting, and I, had, I immediately thought, oh, well, here's some ideas. And this is the one that I literally had not thought of. So I really, I really like this one, which is that you can you can have someone who is passionate about this craft, whether they actually do it themselves, or whether they just are really, really into it. But you could have someone who is a crafter, and with all the issues that we've talked about, they can still have it as a passion, which obviously in passion capital P. You know, that thing in L5R, which means you can, under certain circumstances, get strife back from it. So this is someone who loves the craft, and it's part of their life, and it's part of how they see the world. It allows a GM to give players who have crafting passions and skills to use them in different contexts, and not just by making stuff. Like, they can identify clues related to that painting because they are themselves a painter and they know the techniques they can make small talk related to that passion you know that's someone who's really into sword techniques and they find someone who's got a, a sword on display and oh i know that maker and i know what techniques that guy used and that's really really fascinating which can be a way of getting into a social situation which otherwise you might not and you, I mean, there's all sorts of different roles that can be used, and this is using those roles as social roles or, or whatever. It's You can use them in a lot of different ways. Right. The roles will be dependent on what you're using them for. It's target number could often be vigilance. We've talked about that before. This is using your crafting skill as a social skill. Yeah, so for these non-crafting, crafting roles, you can treat the artisan skill whatever it is, as a social skill in terms of like what opportunities you can gain from it. So it would use get social opportunities. And sometimes as a scholar skill. Right, or as a scholar skill, especially for those investigation type things. So just, you know, it, it doesn't have to be just artisan opportunities. This would be social or scholar opportunities. You want to make the ring 
associated with this crafting appropriate to the approach taken as if it was a social skill. So fire to incite, earth to teach, you'd use water to be friendly, air to be evasive, just just like social skills would go. There's a, a su- uh, can't pronounce words today. There's a huge that is appropriate to this, which is artisan's appraisal. That's investigation, uh, artisan skill plus air. So you learn ring and related advantages and disadvantages for the creator or the performer or the demeanor. So if you have an example of a painting, for example, and your character is a painter, they can, and they have the shuji, they can start to tell stuff about that painter who they are and and what sort of what various things about them and which, which depends on on how well you roll and all that kind of good stuff or you can tell something about an armor maker from their armor yeah this this is really the artisan shuji i think it's the it's the only one that you found that's that's to do it's the one that every class that's an artisan kind of gets early and it's it's just like prominent in their lineups it's the one yeah yeah so you can technically learn these off social or artisan opportunities anyway because this is a technique you have to spend xp on maybe you get more information or more detailed information or more in-depth information than you would just from spending the opportunities Right. So with uh, Artisan's Appraisal, in general, um, you can get like demeanor, I think, off of two ops on it. But with an air op- with an air opportunity of any kind, you can get demeanor plus current strife for one, um, I believe is how that works. Um, so the difference, of course, being that artisan's appraisal can work when the person is not actually there. Yes, that makes sense as a kind of you know because you're looking at a painting and the paint is not in the room with you, and so okay, fine. But this apparently could also be used for a dancer, and you've got you know the dance skill and you're appraising them. But that sounds then like you could just use your normal social skill. Well, you, use your, you can use your dance skill appraising them anyway because it's off of the art it's an a base air op it's not off of just social so you know that kind of makes it much more um it makes the base air stuff uh better than uh, <laughs> than the shuji as i understand it so uh, what i would do then is if someone has this technique and is trying to use it, maybe be a little bit more generous with the amount of information given for it than you wouldn't necessarily for air ops straight. I, I mean, I've had multiple characters who've had this and it's just, and tried to make it work many times and I've just never been able to quite get it to work better than the base air op on anything. The opportunity just never arises because if I'm trying to find someone's demeanor I'm, or disadvantage or advantage, you know, it's someone in the room with me who I'm dealing with. It's not the painter of the painting on the wall in the room. It's someone I actually have to interact with. Uh, and that's kind of the problem with artisan's appraisal. 
But you can make it good as GM. Just think about how to be creative about it. The artisan school that takes the most advantage of exercising a passion role is the Shiba Artisan School. Because in addition for you exercising your passion, at the same time, since you're using your artisan skill, it will remove strife from other and other PCs in the scene as well, including yourself. So you could potentially remove six strife instead of just three for it because you use your your skill on yourself as well. And you can do this for other other people as well. So that's kind of the power up for dealing with this particular kind of artisan. The hobbyist. I'm slamming my hammer on the anvil in a very calming and relaxing way. Uh-huh. Now everyone <laughs> else is calm too. <laughs> All right. Okay, so moving on from exercising a passion, we're going to look at repairing weapons or armor, which is actually something that is commonly assumed to be done by people who aren't like dedicated armor smiths or swordsmiths. These are people who you, know, you have a point in smithing to represent that you maintain your armor and weapons in between battles. So this is generally earth and your skill roll, and it is often used to like, to repair. So if weapons can get damaged, weapon and armor get damaged, uh, a critical hit, even if it's of deadness zero, can give an item the damaged quality. And mm -hmm. Like your armor, it will go to... Even if you take a, one critical hit of deadliness zero and you make all your fitness roll and everything's fine, your armor still gets the damage quality and therefore the resistance of that armor is reduced by two, which for most armor makes it useless. Yeah, yeah. For weapons, it makes it harder to use. The target number goes up by two and that's a lot. Yes makes things almost impossible to use at that point. And bearing in mind, razor-edged weapons are more susceptible to this. If damage is reduced to zero before the target gets to defend, so it's taken down by armor, for example, then your razor-edged weapon immediately gains the damaged trait. So, so lots of damage all the time. <laughs> yes, so in other words, because of that, you want to be able to repair things. What you can do is is take the damaged quality off your item, and that's obviously a really good good useful thing. It is also possible to add durable to the item with opportunities, and that makes the object stronger after the repair than it was before the repair. And this is a no-brainer. You should always do this if if you possibly can. Right. Basically, it's a TN2 Earth skill like smithing roll to repair or maintain a weapon. It's TN3 or even 4 if it's a more complex object or if that object is destroyed. But just TN2 for regular armor and weapons. The earth opportunity for crafting is that you can add the characteristic durable to an item with an op. So when you're repairing something, you're doing an earth crafting roll. If you use an opportunity this adds durable, and as you said, 
players should always do this because durable effectively doubles the strength of the item. So now they have to remove durable before it becomes damaged. Uh, it requires two critical strikes to damage it rather than one. Or uh, a weapon can block two strikes or a weapon, a razor edge weapon can have its um, damage reduced to zero twice. This is very, very useful. You also have an invocation if you've gone the Shigenja path. Caress of Earth does this for damaged or destroyed objects, uh, which might make your swordsmith feel... <laughs> well, why why have I spend so much time learning this? And the Shigenja goes, because I spent lots of time learning this. So, you know, it all makes sense. But... You know, it's, it's different things, different things for different people, different approaches, different ways of doing these things. So, Right. The school that most takes advantage of repairing weapons and armor, in my opinion, is the Artisan of the Roads school. Because in that case, you don't need to worry about materials to repair with or anything like that. They could just be doing this all the time. They could be offering to do this to other samurai that you are in. So if you are in a skirmish that involves more than your party, your artisan of the roads can offer to repair everybody else's armor and they'd never have a materials cost. So, you know, they can make coin potentially doing this or win favors or anything else. If if you're doing that, that, that might be a good place to focus for your school. How can I use this fact that I can repair everything and everything really needs to be prepared a lot to win advantage for myself and my party? And the image of the samurai doing basic maintenance on the sword is a very common one in your samurai dramas. So it's always nice to invoke that from time to time. The next kind of category, and this is used a lot, I, I think I've done more crafting for this than any other kind of crafting, is creating gifts. Rokugan has a lot of gift giving, and this should always be encouraged. It's just very flavorful. It, it's a good opportunity to do all those social scenes that you want your parties to be involved with. The problem with gift giving is that not everyone in the party will be an artisan. So the artisan at this point want to use their skills here. This is a great opportunity for the artisan to show off their stuff and be useful. But then it's like, okay, the artisan has an amazing gift. And what does everyone else do or have or anything? What does that, what does that say? So there's a couple of ways you can deal with this. The first of all, and this I, I kind of always allow, unless I'm playing PvP for some reason, is to always let the party choose to do a group gift crafted by the artisan when they're encountering somebody. So if your PC is having a you know specifically one-on-one -on -one rendezvous with somebody, maybe they want a personal gift. But like if the party is going in front of a lord and being presented to the lord, give a group gift and you can have your artisan craft it rather than making each person come up with individual gifts. Which which honestly just makes the scene go on forever. Right. It makes it go on forever, and then you have to worry about how the Lord does the approach to different party members depending on their gift and everything. Just do a group gift. And that group gift can be crafted by the artisan because they're showing off their skills now. You can allow other party members 
to contribute to the artisan's group gift by using their own skills. A big way to do this is to procure supplies. Maybe they've got some commerce or survival or skullduggery. And this is generally a water approach just because of what it is. And and they're in charge of getting that special steel or the materials or whatever the artisan needs. And, and that gets farmed out to them. And then they've contributed a bit. Another way that the non-artisan party members can contribute is if they have the right shujis or social skills, they can scout out the desires of the Lord receiving the gift ahead of time, asking a few discreet questions or using something like tributaries of trade or some of the other shuji we'll talk about to improve the gift. If you want to have party members give separate gifts and each party member is crafting or purchasing their own, then to kind of deal with it in a faster way without having to remember a lot of complicated relationship mechanics, okay? But like, oh, he liked this one better and this one worse or anything like that. But you want to reward the artisan for doing something spectacular with theirs, you know. You can have them give separate gifts, but the one with the awesome gift, especially if they've crafted it, can also get a glory reward because now they have demonstrated their art in front of a large public audience and everybody can see, wow, that's really cool. So they get a little extra glory. And then that kind of evens out the group mechanics while still giving the artisan a reward for doing something above and beyond. Now, in Legend of the Five Rings, gifts are intended to be personal and demonstrate thought on behalf of the giver. Having said that, they're not always going to someone you've got a personal link to, and it is also something that takes up more time in the game if every single gift has to be like this. So it is possible to simplify it. So maybe a single target number three roll to purchase a, a suitable gift or find, maybe lower it to tug number two, or craft indeed, yes, to obtain. Uh, so craft it, purchase it, find it. Lower it to tug number two if the gift comes with a good explanation or description from the player as to why that gift fits particularly well. And that could be a fire roll for something you've created. It could be water for something you've purchased, that sort of thing. And use bonus successes to increase the happiness with the gift opportunities can be used to make additional statements or to have additional effects like if you're obviously the main idea when you're giving a gift to say a daimyo is to impress that daimyo bonus successes would make that daimyo more happy opportunities could be used to impress the audience for example um, so this is a single role for crafting, and then you're just using the bonus assesses or the um, opportunities from that single role to add on. And it works for, as we said, crafting or purchasing or acquiring. Yeah. If you want to make it more complex, then you can have things like create and refine or assess and create and give a glory award for bonus successes on presentation. So you can kind of accumulate more successes because you are doing more roles 
Right. So this, you do a single role one if it's not the focus of a plot. <laughs> you know, if, if that gift is not not the focus of the plot, you might make it easier, lower role if it was a totally throwaway gift. But if it's, you know, you're you're going, you're in a new Lord's territory and you need to present yourself to them before you go continue your investigation or whatever you're doing there. Yeah, doing that as a single role is fine. You'd use this complex role if you were trying to really make a big deal of this presentation and make it really, really important. It's a, it's a plot point to get this uh, done over. You have been sent on a quest to give this gift to the Lord or something like that. You want to do it a bit more um, in depth than just a single role. Yeah, I I can't remember if I've told this done this story already, but the the example for gift giving and crafting that always sprung to my mind was I had learned a thing about a particular form of Japanese pottery. This comes and basically what it comes down to is you make items that are pretty much identical, but where you fire them in the kiln affects how they look, and so this was a gift of sake cups to a dragon clan daimyo where you say each of these cups is the same but it looks very different because of how it was fired so each one of them is individual and that matches the dragon ideals of individuality and finding your own path and that sort of thing i've always liked that as i thought that was quite cute and i think that kind of i can give an idea of how a gift can be targeted towards a particular personality and also a good excuse to go find out about traditional pottery and other traditional crafts for also for, for little snippets like this that you can just chuck in and, and for fun. Mm -hmm. Some key shuji that you might want to do if, if gift giving is a big focus and you want to uh, have this on hand is, uh, so there's tributaries of trade, which is a commerce plus water shuji, to basically already have a gift on hand with a rarity of one plus bonus successes. Opportunities on it reduce the price you would pay for it. But L5R doesn't do much uh, money, so the opportunities there are just not that useful. But it's really nice to have a gift always on hand. And I admit, when I am playing somebody who has an assistant from one of the crane schools, this is my favorite uh, shuji to put on the assistant because then my that means I send my assistant out to go shopping for me all the time to make sure that they have the right gift to present. And then they give it to me and I give it to the Lord because that's how assistants work. Yeah, basically it's like the flashback and it's kind of conveniently I already had up my sleeve. Exactly. Yeah. Shallow Waters is another shuji. This is a water opportunity to learn of a material item that an individual desires. It might be difficult to do on your very first meeting, but that will obviously mean that you have an idea of what specifically would be a good gift for that individual. Assuming it is something you could obtain and not like a castle might be tough. But if it's they particularly like art on a particular style or if they particularly want a sword for whatever reason though why would they not already have one but never mind but if you know you have an idea of okay this is where we're going this is what we're going to get so that's obviously very useful for gift giving right 
especially since other things can sometimes uh, be impacted by how much they desire an item. Well of Desire is an interesting shuji. In this scenario, and we'll talk about it in a little bit in the next scenario too, you would find a gift that they like uh, and not particularly have a reason to turn down. And then if they accept it, which they generally would, there's some penalties if they don't, it would lower the TN of your next social skill check against them by the rarity of the gift. Depending on how you structure your intrigues, this can be really good. Like if you have one big roll you have to make against them, right? With a high TN. Or this can be really bad if you have to do a whole intrigue against them and each one is little and one roll doesn't make a big difference to them. If you are structuring this as a intrigue with a lot of little rolls, as opposed to one big roll, and they've gone to the trouble of both you know, acquiring this technique and finding a good gift, I would go ahead and let this count against multiple roles. <laughs> you know, not just the one. What you could do is say, okay, if it was just one role, say you get a, a rarity five gift to pick a number out of the air. You could use that. If there's going to be one role, there you go. Tag number five off your next role. Well done you. But what you could also do is, okay, there's going to be an intrigue. There's going to be a number of roles. You have five target number points you can take off and you can choose how to distribute them over the next few roles. That might be another way of doing it. Yeah, I like that. Just things to think about because that's a problem with all of these things, reduce target number by one. You never know how much that's really worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what you could also also do is say, okay, it's a target number two thing you're going to roll. You've got five, a five rarity gift. You can't take five off that. But what you could do is say, okay, that'll give you some bonus successes, if bonus successes are useful in this particular role, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think there are ways and means. Just something to think about with that one. And the final shuji that we're going to talk about on gift-giving is dazzling performance, which gains glory by one for the scene you get an extra glory for the scene and that can be used for creating the gift and the glory reward given on presenting the good gift in public right so dazzling performance we normally think of in terms of uh, a live performance like they're acting and they get a glory award for doing a great acting job and if they do it with the dazzling performance as part of their performance in acting they will gain an additional one point of glory in addition to whatever glory they got for the acting in the first place. It doesn't just apply to a performance. It also applies to any glory award for any artisan thing. So if you are presenting an item you made as a crafter that was a gift individually, so this wouldn't necessarily be a group, though it could be a group, you could use dazzling performance in your presentation of your gift to gain you a little bit more glory for giving that gift in public. So basically you're gaining glory for giving good presents. So schools that take advantage of gift giving in particular are Ide Trader and Yasuki Trader. Both of those 
have the shuji, have the school techniques that nestle well with gift giving overall, even though neither is an artisan school. Yeah, but they can take advantage. Now, you can use the shuji and the abilities that they have and make this person functionally an artisan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they wouldn't, they won't have shuji or techniques specifically for making stuff, but they can get the skill and make stuff. Or they can, like, be the, the hype man for your actual artisan. Yeah. Okay, so we have talked about exercising a passion repairing weapons or armor, creating gifts, some of the difficulties with incorporating crafting into a game. But we've been talking for a while now, and we had a bunch of news this morning. So I think we have gone long enough on this topic, and we will pick it up next week. Uh, So uh, just to give a shout-out, this is a call-out. Let's give a call-out to Fortune and Strife our affiliated actual play podcast, as well as our friends at D20 Radio. And thank you to all of our Patreons. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon. So if you want to support our editing costs as well as our website, uh, that's the thing you can do. On our website, you can find uh, long-term information, including summaries of our podcasts, our RPG tools. There are also forums and more. For our patrons, we've got special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our AP podcasts, and more things as we think of them. Online, you can find us at our website, courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korvar. And until we meet again... Keep your jade handy.